Hey there, it's me, Jesse Tyler Ferguson, that redheaded actor from Modern Family. I have a podcast. It's combining a couple of my favorite things, talking and food. Please join me as I dine with the biggest names in entertainment, people like Julie Bowen, Kristen Bell, Fred Armisen, and so many more. It's called Dinners on Me, and you're invited. Am I saying a chocolate souffle is going to get me to reveal all of my secrets? Yeah, I am. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. When can students safely return to schools? Nearly one year into the coronavirus pandemic in the United States, this is one of the country's major questions with an answer that feels difficult and elusive. President Joe Biden has promised both on the campaign trail and since taking office that he can put the country on a path to in-person learning. He's vowed to reopen most schools within his first 100 days in office. We'll also do everything we can to keep our educators and students safe, to safely reopen a majority of our K through eight schools by the end of the first 100 days. We can do this. But Biden's promises have also been vague at times, and the specifics of how to help the country get more schools open still aren't completely clear. Biden faces a complicated political predicament. Teachers unions are a loyal constituency for the president, and trying to balance pressures from the unions with pressures from parents and students puts Biden in a dicey position. Plus, Republicans have united around a message that Democrats are ignoring data and keeping students home in response to union pressure. What's more, what happens at a local school level isn't exactly dictated by decisions in Washington. So can Biden really come through on this promise of reopening most schools within his first 100 days? How much can the president affect when and how schools welcome students back into the classroom? And what are the political consequences? This is Can He Do That, a podcast exploring the powers and limitations of American government in a time of deep division. I'm Allison Michaels. Later in the show, I talk to some of the people whose lives are affected by the decisions Biden and other administration officials are making as they figure out a path forward for the country's schools. But first, I wanted to understand what's driving these decisions in Washington and what we can expect as Biden tries to come through on his promises. So I turned to Laura Meckler, a national education reporter at The Washington Post. I asked her to start by explaining the status of schools in this country. How many are virtual, how many are hybrid, and how many are open for in-person learning? Well, we don't know exactly how many are open because there's no one place that's really keeping track of all 14,000 school districts in the United States. However, there are some private companies that have made some estimates based on surveys. And what they tend to say is about a quarter of the schools are fully closed, no in-person learning at all. And the rest are a combination between fully open and what's called hybrid, when hybrid is where kids are in the school for part of the week or part of the day and at home for part of the week or part of the day. President Biden has been vocal about wanting to get students back in the classrooms safely. What was Biden promising about this on the campaign trail? And how has that message evolved since he's taken office? 
Well, the funny thing is the promise was very squishy. What he basically said is, I want to reopen schools. And of course, everybody does. And it's a big promise, easy to stay. Then you get into the details and it gets complicated. What he said initially was just, I want to reopen schools. It got refined over time. It's really interesting because it sort of got more specific. But the first thing he did was he made it clear he was talking about K to eight schools. So that's basically elementary and middle schools, not high schools. The next question became, well, okay, he said he wants most schools reopened. What does most mean? And the White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki clarified that what that means is a majority, 51%. Well, as we talked about a second ago, we're, we are probably already at that over 51% if we count schools that are hybrid, where kids are in school for part of the day or part of the week and then at home for part of the day or part of the week. And in fact, the, the White House has gone back and forth a little bit about whether those hybrid sort of counts in their idea of what school is open and they haven't been super clear about it. This is obviously a difficult issue. Teachers and parents and students all have complex perspectives on when and how schools should reopen. Can you just sort of lay out the big picture of why this is such a challenging issue? You know, it's such an emotional problem for so many people. I mean, there are fears and you know, just real nervousness around going back because nobody wants to get sick. That's especially true among teachers, but it's also true for a lot of parents who are just really worried about their kids getting exposed to the virus. I'd say that's particularly acute in African-American and other communities of color where the virus has just rampaged their communities. So you've got these emotions and fears about going back. And at the same time, you've got other types of fears. I mean, fears about kids who are falling behind in academically. You've got kids who are just so unhappy. We did a story at one point that said remote school is leaving children angry and sad. And that's really true. I mean, a lot of kids are just not dealing with this well. Of course, families aren't dealing with this well either in many cases. Parents are having to work from home and juggling parenting and becoming sort of quasi-teachers along with trying to do the regular jobs. Other people can't even do their regular job because they can't do it from home. And they've got their kids who was taking care of their kids during the day. So there's just a whole lot of emotion around both the wanting to go back and also the fears of going back. Yeah. And beyond all those heart-wrenching pieces is the political challenge for Joe Biden. Can you explain why this is such a particular political challenge for Biden? Well, it's political in a lot of ways because this was a promise that he made and he's going to be held accountable for it. It's also political because teachers unions have some very strong feelings about this. In many communities, they have made it very um, difficult for districts to reopen. And teachers unions are also among Biden's most loyal supporters. So he doesn't really want to cross them. And he's trying to walk a very narrow line where he's essentially trying to bring teachers unions along and teachers themselves along and also trying to send the message that he wants to reopen schools, but not in a ham-handed way, not sort of like, we're going to force you to do this. So how is Biden doing walking that narrow line, as you say, with the teachers unions? How are things going? Publicly, they are actually very much on the same page. But I think when you look at Biden, he really hasn't pushed them too hard. And another way that that looks from the outside is that he isn't going full throttle on his pledge to try to reopen schools. You know, he's he's easing off it a little bit in some cases. So I think he's just trying to walk this very careful balancing act and it's it's just almost impossible to do perfectly. They're trying to kind of not offend anyone, which is very difficult with such an emotional issue. Right. And what's interesting about this is that Biden doesn't actually have absolute power to reopen schools around the country, right? No, he has no power to reopen schools. Absolutely. Right. 
<laughs> so a lot of what we're talking about is messaging and sort of offering guidelines, which I want to get into specifically. But what steps can Biden and the federal government actually take to help schools reopen safely? What power do they have? They don't really have power, but what they do have is influence and money. So there are two things that Biden has talked about as being on a pathway to reopening schools. And, you know, they each sort of have their own dynamics. One is said that they need better guidance. So they promised that they would produce better guidance. And in fact, last week they did that. The second thing is he said they need money to implement the guidance, to, to buy masks for teachers or plastic dividers or extra staff or nurses or somebody to be te- checking kids' temperatures as they walk in the room or more bus drivers or all sorts of things that cost money. And he has asked Congress for $130 billion as part of his Rescue Act just for schools, K- K-12 schools. And it looks like he's on track to get that maybe in the next few weeks. So those are the things he can do. But these are local decisions. This is not, it is not up to the federal government whether schools open or not. This, sometimes it's the state can put pressure on schools to reopen or to close, but it is definitely not a Washington decision. So what was a Washington decision were the CDC guidelines. Last week, the CDC issued new guidelines for reopening schools. Can you tell me a little bit about what's in those guidelines? Yes. So what the guidelines say is that they say it is safe to reopen schools as long as you take proper precautions. And they have five precautions that they say are the most important things. And they include mandatory masking. They include distancing, distance between people in the school, cleaning protocols, these sorts of things, the kind of things that you would expect. And they lay out exactly how you should go about doing that. So that's the first thing that they say. But they also did something else. So that, so that was, in a way, a, a roadmap to return. It was saying it is safe to return. The science shows it's safe to return. This is how to do it. But yet at the same time, they said how how much you should be back depends on what the infection rates are in your community. And if you have really high infection rates, you shouldn't go back full time. Don't go back five days a week. In fact, maybe you want to stay remote unless you have really, really good precautions in place. Even if you do have really good precautions in place, the most that they are recommending is this hybrid plans where kids are in school for part of the week or part of the day and at home for the rest. So then you say, okay, well, how much of the country is in this high, super high infection rate? So it turns out the vast majority of the country today is in these super high infection rates. So the CDC today, for all practical purposes, for most of the country is not recommending a full five-day-a-week return to school. They are recommending either hybrid or fully remote, depending on what the district is able to pull off. Wow, that further complicates it so much. How have teachers and the scientific community reacted to these guidelines? You know, teachers have welcomed the guidelines, I think. They, the unions have. They've said that this is a roadmap to return. I think it's, it also is helpful, especially when teachers are talking to their districts because they have, do have specific things they can point to. Because, you know, even though some of these things may seem obvious, like, say, mandatory masks, not every district is doing mandatory masks. Not every district is doing everything that's in the CDC guidelines. So this does give it does, in fact, help those conversations. Those guidelines are meaningful, even if they're not mandatory. There has been some pushback from others, from some parents um, who are sort of reopen activists and from some people in the infectious disease community. Some of them have said, these are too conservative, that we know it's safe to reopen if you take proper precautions. Why do we need to be encouraging remote or hybrid when you really can make it work? So there's some people who think that they're a little too conservative, but others have said they make sense. 
And another point of contention is around the vaccination of teachers. You touched on this a little bit before, but on Wednesday, the White House said that it doesn't see vaccinating teachers as a prerequisite for opening schools. What's your reporting told you about how teachers and parents and students feel about whether vaccination of teachers should be a prerequisite? This was actually part of the CDC guidance. They said that they recommend it and it's a tool, but it's not mandatory. A lot of teachers would like the vaccine before they go back. And obviously we understand why. We should say though that there are many, many, many teachers who have been teaching for months and months without the vaccine. But that said, of course, there are many teachers who think that they would like it. But in fact, as a practical matter, in a lot of places, the vaccination of teachers is coinciding with the reopening of schools, maybe not by the exact time, but sort of in the same within, you know, give or take a few weeks. So I think that at some point, most places are going to have teachers having the opportunity to get the vaccine. Not everywhere, though. The real implications of what the Biden administration, the CDC, and Congress decide, meanwhile, can be felt in homes all across the country. For those students experiencing virtual learning, it's been a major challenge and a big adjustment. Yet the desire among students to get back to in-person learning isn't exactly straightforward. Our producer Arjun was thinking about how these challenges were affecting real students and educators, and someone who might have insight on the subject came to mind. His fourth grade teacher... Miss Sharkey. So we give her a call. Turns out Miss Sharkey, who goes by Joanna Sharkey Oshman these days, is no longer teaching, but she does have a virtual learner at home. Kate Oshman, Joanna's daughter, is a 15-year-old freshman at Woodside Priory High School in Portola Valley, California. She's been learning online for the entire school year. So you started high school inside your own house. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So what was that like? What did it feel like to, you know, have this moment of starting high school but not really being able to physically go to high school? Honestly, it was kind of disappointing. Like you hear about high school and you're so excited about high school and all these memories and experiences that you have in high school. And then you just don't really get it with distance learning. What kinds of things do you feel like you're missing out on the most? Mostly friendships and like relationships, not only with students, but also teachers. Because normally when I go to school, most of it's friends. That's a good part of school. You know, you get to see your friends all the time, get to go to lunch, walk to class. But also it's a lot different learning in real school. If I needed help with something, I feel like I could just go ask my teacher. It's a whole lot easier. And even though, yeah, I can still ask my teachers, it's not the same. I don't know if that makes, it's not going to make sense, but there's no way to explain it. Right. It's not the same. You have to schedule a time with them or find a way to get a Zoom link to them and you have to engage that way. It's very different than just sort of walking over to their desk to ask them questions for sure. It feels like it's just school, but more stressful and without the fun part. You know, without the friends or the social aspect. What makes it more stressful? Without the social aspect. <laughs> it just, it's not. There's no release. There's no outlet. There's, yeah, exactly. It's just pure education. And although that is what school is for, that's the point of school, to learn, it it makes it a lot less enjoyable and it makes it that you don't want to go to school. Yeah. I can tell you as a working professional, I think we all feel that way, right? There's no real release. It's just sort of the work part of it and, and the, the companionship and the camaraderie that you have among your colleagues is also missing. So you're not alone. What would you want to see personally in terms of safety to feel comfortable returning to school? I think just honestly waiting. In California, it's really not 
going well with COVID and my school is really focused on getting us back and it makes me kind of nervous about it. And although there are a lot of schools that do it safely, just waiting for the right time, I think, because there's not really too many ways to make it safe to go back because you just have to really trust everyone at your school, which is hard that not one person is going to go break all the rules, you know, because there's so many kids in a high school and teachers and maybe the kids aren't that bad. You know, maybe the kids are all safe, but maybe they have siblings, you know, and there's all these what ifs. There's just always some sort of way that it's going to get through. It's definitely changed my views on a lot of things. You don't think about the world as such a social place. And although it is, I think of it mostly as school is where you learn and work is where you do things. But now you kind of look at it as like school is where you learn, but that's also where you used to get so much of your everything, you know? Not only did you learn, but you did your sports and you did your activities and you saw your friends and you might stay after school to see your friends still at school. You know, school was this kind of hub of everything. And now it's just like an empty building. And, you know, school is just like an idea now. It feels like, like, oh, it's just where you learn. That's what you do. There's always more to the story. I'm Leanne Caldwell, anchor of Washington Post Live. Each week, we bring you inside conversations between the newsroom and the people we cover. From global leaders enacting change to cutting-edge artists redefining our culture. And we make you and your questions part of every conversation. Listen to Washington Post Live wherever you get your podcasts and watch on demand at WashingtonPostLive.com. Kate's experience of full-time at-home learning isn't the case everywhere in the U.S. In some states, schools have reopened for at least some time in the classroom. In Louisiana, all schools have been open probably early August. And right now, we are really happy to say that we've been able to hopefully, through our practices and policy fights, mitigate some of the contacts of COVID-19 in our schools. They don't mirror what's happening in some communities, so we're very happy about that. But we do feel that our role is to make sure that schools open safely. Larry John Carter Jr. is the president of the Louisiana Federation of Teachers and School Employees. That's the largest teachers union in the state of Louisiana. This means that he advocates for and represents teachers and school employees across the state. I turned to Larry for insight from the perspective of a teacher's union in a state where schools have largely reopened. So when you say schools have been open since early August, what does open mean in Louisiana's case? Are all the schools in the state open five days a week? No, all schools aren't open in person five days a week. In fact, we have some options for parents where a parent can decide whether or not they want to send their child in person for teaching and learning or virtually. And then there's the hybrid model where we have asynchronous teaching as well as synchronous teaching, where you have teachers in some schools have to actually teach a group of students in front of them for in-person, as well as have two computers. One to show those students while she's teaching or he's teaching to the in-person group, have a camera and a computer to teach students virtually at the same time. And that's obviously not easy on teachers or students. Have you heard feedback from teachers about some of the challenges of, of hybrid? Yes, it's, it's very challenging when you think about most, if, if not all teachers, were actually trained for in-person teaching and learning, synchronous teaching and learning. And now you have to now learn online teaching and learning, which is not typical how teachers and school employees and students 
teach and learn and engage in public education. So what do you hear from teachers about what that experience is like? Are they frustrated that this is how they're having to teach right now? Most teachers are very frustrated when they have to do both the hybrid model and teach in-class students as well as students virtually. Basically, that's preparing double the system and mode of teaching and engaging students. And they're burning out a lot faster than they would normally. Yeah, it seems it seems very challenging. So how how then has the teachers union played a role in making the decision to use this hybrid model? During the last legislative session of 2020, we were able to get legislation passed that forced the state to set COVID-19 safety protocols that each school district had to follow. And because of that fight at the legislature, as well as what we call the Board of Elementary and Secondary Education, BESI, we were able to get standards put in place that gave strict guidelines to the state and how it looked at making sure that we protected students and protected families and protected employees. And we're very proud of that. And so much so that now local affiliate organizations of ours with their school boards, they negotiate and they fight for even stricter guidelines to make sure that safety is a priority. How are you able to ensure that these standards are met? I mean, it's wonderful that that there there have been these strict standards put in place, but how can you ensure, A, that they're adhered to, and B, that there's enough money in the system to make them possible at all? Well, right now, each one of our local affiliates have um, a checklist that they've received and that they've designed themselves in some cases where they actually get teachers to send in the surveys to monitor what protocols are being followed, which are not, and we then bring that to local school district board members, to local district superintendents, and I then also bring it to the state superintendent, the governor, and legislators to make sure that those promulgating rules put in place to protect teachers, school employees, and the community, as well as our students, that they're being followed. So we certainly monitor on a regular weekly basis. We still have some districts who need a little more prodding than others based on them not following the signs, but following the politics of today. And so what we're doing is making sure that we keep that pressure on and we continue to fight for safety protocols. Also, we certainly are fighting to make sure that the new administration, the Biden administration, is funding those efforts. I want to ask you if the safety protocols thus far have worked. Have you seen large community outbreaks in schools? Have you seen community transmission increase in the communities where school is happening in person? Currently, we have seen that the protocols, when implemented correctly and and followed through on a consistent basis, we have not seen transmission or infections inside of schools that outpace the communities in which those schools um, are in. Now, nationally, there's this narrative that teachers unions don't want schools to reopen, that they're being overcautious or that teachers are being lazy, that some, some have said, and then also that all parents are just desperate for their kids to go back. So how does that narrative fit in with the reality of what you're actually seeing in Louisiana? Do those things appear true? Right before we started in August, probably I'll say June and July, we did several surveys statewide and, and received probably 36,000 responses to our survey, and we included parents, teachers, school employees. We included community stakeholders around education and and safety protocols. Basically, 
50% of the parents want their kids back in schools. If the schools can provide a safety measure that would guarantee them or give them security that their kid will not contract the coronavirus. And then the other half said, I want my kid to stay home. When we did that survey with teachers and school employees, it was very similar, which a lot of people was, was taken back by because most teachers, and especially I know we do, want and believe kids should be in school for in-person teaching and learning. But we also have to make sure before we do that, that we open schools up safely and securely so that we do not become centers of community spreads inside of the school. What do you know about how educators feel about getting vaccinated? Have you had conversations with teachers in your community about that? We have started a lot of dialogue around vaccination and the vaccination program here in the state of Louisiana. And we've found that the majority would be willing, um, if they had access to the vaccine, to actually get a shot in the arm to make sure that they were safe, their students were safe, and the community was safe. When we start putting some pressure on our governor and our legislators and the state superintendent, they all agreed that we have to move teachers up to make sure there's an additional step to the safety measures to safely reopen schools. So a lot of what you've talked about in regards to your efforts to reopen schools safely is work that's been done at the local level or at the state level. When you look to the federal government, what kind of help or guidance would you hope to get from the Biden administration at this point? What are you looking to the federal government for? I'm looking for the current administration to actually enforce some type of national guidance around safely reopening schools, opening the economy and opening our communities in a way that speaks to the guidelines not changing every so often, but changing when needed, as well as put the resources behind the guidelines. When we talk about PPE, in some cases there's still shortages. Um, when we talk about socially distancing, I think having the President of the United States speak to the issue of how important it is. When we talk about wearing face masks, face shields, or face coverings, Seeing a person in the White House and in the administration representing that speaks volumes of how important it is for us to follow those protocols. So I'm very happy to say that we've seen and heard the current administration walk in the walk and talk in the talk. At this point, we would hope that the legislators in the House and the Senate decide to not just pass a legislation around COVID monies, but also for K-12 higher education for new projects to, to boost the economy so that we can get our parents and our community members back to work. So we're very enthusiastic about the Biden's administration push to make sure that we can get most schools, if not all schools, open safely by not just talking about political issues, but following the science to make sure that we're doing this in a very safe and orderly manner. Can I ask you, on the other hand, is there anywhere that you want the Biden administration to just stay out of it? You think it should be handled at the local level or at the state level? Look, I'm one of those persons that believe in this strongly, that the federal government has its purpose, and I think it is to take care of its people. And therefore, I would say that whatever the administration currently in the White House can do to help promote safely reopening schools, I'm all for that. Are you hopeful for the fall that we will see our nation's schools across the country open for in-person learning at least most of the time? I'm very hopeful that by next school year, fall, that we can have the majority of school districts across the country reopen safely for students, teachers, school employees, and parents, and the community. I think with this new plan to 
vaccinate 4 million people a day will help speed up that quick recovery that we need to at least safely get the economy open, get the schools open, and have our community spread lessen over time. After talking to Larry, I wanted to go back to our education reporter, Laura, to find out her thoughts about the prospects for future in-person learning. So I asked her, based on all her reporting on this topic, does she think Biden can meet his promise to reopen most schools for in-person learning in his first 100 days? Well, if the goal is truly most schools opening full-time, I think it's possible, but not necessarily likely because there are going to be a lot of places that have opened hybrid and are just going to ride out hybrid for the rest of the year, I think. They're going to say, this is working for us. We figured this out. There's no need to change again. If the goal is just open in one shape or form, which at, at times is how the White House has defined the goal, I don't think we're real clear on even today what the, exactly the goal is, even though Biden did say he wants them open five days a week. It's just this isn't the kind of goal where you can know exactly whether you've hit it or not. Like I said before, it's just very squishy. I think that if it's open in one way, shape, or form, we're probably already there, and I think we'll be even more so. I think more and more school districts are opening by the week. We are definitely moving in that direction. So yeah, I think that we will be at a place at the end of April where they will probably be able to declare victory. How we exactly measure how much has changed is all kind of a art more than a science, but I think we will probably be there. If you're really strict and say, okay, five days a week, most districts, hard to say. All right, Laura, we'll have to check back with you at the end of those first 100 days. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me. This has been another episode of Can He Do That? If you liked it, as soon as this is over, go share it with at least one person. It really makes a difference. And thanks so much for listening. Can He Do That is a team effort here at The Post. It's produced by Arjun Singh and Sharla Freeland, with new logo art by Greg Manifold and theme music by Ted Mulzoon. If you're looking for a smoking gun, I can absolutely guarantee you, you will not find it. In October 2001, a series of letters filled with a deadly powder called anthrax were dropped into the U.S. mail system. What started as an unprecedented case turned into an unsettling mystery. Who sent these deadly letters and why? From Campside Media and Sony Music Entertainment, I'm Josh Dean, and this is Cover Up Season 4, The Anthrax Threat, available now. 